Hi everybody, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Heart Podcast. It's James Rudd here, the Digital Media Editor at Heart and the podcast host. Uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Seamus Welton from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Maryland, USA. We talk all about a education in heart piece that he's written, uh, which is called Coronary Artery Calcium from Risk Prevention to Treatment Allocation and Clinical Trials. Uh, we get into detail about how coronary artery calcium is scored and the applications of this simple technique. I hope you enjoyed the show and please feel free to leave us a lovely five-star review if you do. Thank you so much for joining me. Maybe we can start off, if it's okay with you, by having you introduce yourself for the podcast audience. Um, who are you? Where do you work? And what do you do there? Thank you for having me today. My name is um, Dr. Seamus Welton. I'm an assistant professor of medicine and cardiology at Johns Hopkins University. Um, and my focus is on preventive cardiology and cardiac CT imaging. And Dr. Welton, along with Dr. Blaha, you've written a, a very nice education in heart piece, which is called Coronary Artery Calcium from Risk Prediction to Treatment Allocation and Clinical Trials. Um, maybe for the audience, you can just give us a brief overview of calcium scoring. Um, how is it performed and how is the number actually derived? Yeah, so that's a great place to start. So coronary artery calcium scoring is performed by um, a non-contrast CT scan of the chest. Um, it's an EKG-gated CT, which means that you'll usually typically have three EKG pads on, and the timing of the scan is correlated to the um, heart rhythm. Um, and it's important to note this is a low-radiation um, dose scan, so typically we say that there's about one millisievert of radiation. To put that into comparison, um, bilateral mammography has a similar radiation dose, and the average annual radiation dose just living on planet Earth is about three millisieverts. So pretty low radiation dose, especially given that this is a test to be typically performing, uh, recommend performing, you know, as a one-time test. Um, and so the way it's performed is once the CT scan is um, acquired, the images are reviewed um, automatically by the um, program. And anything with a Hounsfield unit greater than 130 um, can be uh, counted as coronary artery calcium. And that um, particular Hounsfield unit is chosen by Arthur Agatson when he came up with the score to reduce the chance of um, false positive. And so each plaque, um, the area is calculated automatically by the computer program and the density, and there's a density weighting factor. So the more dense the plaque, um, the higher the density weighting factor it gets from a one, two, three. Um, and the area of each plaque is multiplied by that density weighting factor. And then all the plaques are summed together to give a total Eggleston score. And again, like I mentioned, you know, as a reader of CT scan, all we have to do is identify the plaques. The computer does all the hard work of measuring the area and measuring the density for us. So it's a, you know, very simple test. And typically we think of simple things being not as good and complex or high tech things being better. But here is a case actually where a simple low technology test is actually has great advantages. Um, because it's a low-cost test, at least in the U.S., it's typically about $75 out of pocket without insurance. Um, like I said, it's very easy to perform. There's no IV contrast. 
um, and it's very easy for the radiologist or cardiologist to score. And it's very nice because we get a, a number from zero up to, you know, uh, thousands would be a very high score. So it's easy also to interpret because we know that zero, as I'll talk about here a little bit later, is a normal or ideal score. So it's a very easy baseline or reference point. And we know that the higher the score, the higher someone's plaque burden and the higher their future risk for having cardiovascular disease. Um, and so I think that makes it very nice for the ordering um, provider and then also for the patient because we don't have to explain, well, you know, this is normal here and this is how we chose it. We know that zero is normal and everyone can understand that. And just in terms of um, the indications for doing calcium scoring at the moment, when is it recommended in the in the guidelines? What, what kind of patient would you typically suggest a calcium score in? Yeah, so um, calcium scoring is most commonly recommended by guidelines for patients that are asymptomatic, so without any symptoms. And the main purpose here is kind of twofold. The main thing is to get a, a better idea of someone's cardiovascular risk. We know that traditional risk factors such as high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes work reasonably well on a population level, but much less well on an individual patient level. And we know that coronary artery calcium scoring, because it's really giving us the um, information of, you know, what is this patient's plaque burden? Do they have atherosclerosis? And if so, what amount of atherosclerosis do they have? So it's really giving us a personalized, individualized um, answer and information on this person's plaque burden and their risk. And really, that's what we want to know when we have a patient sitting in front of us. They don't want to know what is my average risk. They want to know what is my personal risk. Um, so that's really what it's giving us. Most guidelines um, are going to recommend calcium scoring for patients with intermediate risk. So using the ACC AHA guidelines, that's going to be someone who has between a 5 to 19% uh, risk, 10-year uh, risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, and you know the reason they recommend that group primarily is we know that there's a lot of reclassification of risk. So a lot of patients in that intermediate group that get downgraded because they have a score of zero, and also some patients that also get upgraded with a higher score. Um, and that's really the group that has the highest yield um, for potentially reclassifying their risk upwards or downwards. Perfect. Um, and one little bit that I found interesting in your review was a statement you to say that a calcium score of zero is a marker uh, of not only healthy arterial aging and low cardiovascular risk, but also associated with a low rate of cancer and all-cause mortality. Is that just because these patients tend to be living healthy lifestyles generally, so have fewer cancer risk factors as well as cardiovascular risk factors, or is there another reason that I've, I'm missing there? No, exactly. So I think what we've um, come to recognize uh, over time and is becoming increasingly important is that as cardiologists, you know, we focus on cardiovascular disease, but many of these risk factors such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, are not just risk factors for cardiovascular disease, they're also risk factors for many other diseases, importantly cancer. And there is a great amount of overlap in terms of risk factors for cancer and risk factors for cardiovascular disease. And so just as you were mentioning, um, in general, patients who have a calcium score of zero have a lower traditional risk factor burden. And so I think it's very important that, you know, we note that this has a low cardiovascular disease risk, but also like you mentioned, these patients also have a low risk of cancer and a much lower risk of all-cause mortality over the same follow-up time. So um, it's really not just giving us, you know, only information about cardiovascular disease, it's really giving us insight into the patient's overall health. 
Um, yeah. And these patients who have a calcium score of zero, that's really telling us that not only is your cardiovascular risk low, but your your overall health is actually very good. Um, and this is really one of the best markers for that. And you also say that um, calcium scoring is really useful because it integrates an individual's lifetime positive and negative risk factors. Uh, and also, of course, incorporates some of that genomic uh, information and resilience uh, to give us an individual score. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more, in fact? Yeah, that exactly. I think that's a very important point of the calcium scoring. When the traditional risk factor scores, we're taking a single measurement point in time. Um, but we know there's many studies for um, blood pressure, for um, smoking, for cholesterol, that it's really your total burden or total exposure. So if you think about the area under the curve, it's the number of years you've been exposed to that risk factor and also um, how elevated that risk factor was, um, right? And we know that, you know, risk factors change over time. So, um, you know, just measuring your total cholesterol, your HDL, your blood pressure at one point in time in middle age may not be reflective of your total burden. And so, and we also don't have great tools while there's certainly things coming out like polygenic risk scores, we really don't have great ways of measuring genetic susceptibility. And I think part of that is because genetics are extremely complicated. And so the calcium score really takes all the guesswork out of it because it really tells us exactly what's going on in the coronary arteries. It tells us what that person's burden is. And it, you know, factors in, like you mentioned, the, um, the genetic susceptibility, both good and bad. We generally think about genetic risk as causing problems, but there's also genetic risk factors or genetic mutations that reduce risk as well. And so this really takes all the guesswork out and integrates all of those things together, including also diet, exercise, lifestyle, which are very difficult to measure and incorporate into a risk score. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't even thought about the diet and exercise angle of things. Um, one area of the uh, paper that you expand on quite a lot is using calcium scoring to help us make better decisions about starting medications, primary prevention medications in this case. Um, is there sort of consensus among the various guidelines of when we should be doing this? Yeah, so this is a great question. So um, like we talked about, the calcium or coronary artery calcium scoring is really going to help us refine risk. And that's important to communicate patients. But then, you know, the next step in that process is what should we do with this risk number? And we know that that will really help us appropriately allocate primary prevention medications. We want to make sure that the patients that are high risk are getting started on these medicines. But on the flip side, patients that have a low risk, they may be able to skip starting medications, um, at least for the time being. Um, and that's also important. Um, for patients and for general society as well. So I think in general, the like most guidelines, and when we look at them in granularity and, and big picture, big picture wise, the guidelines generally have a lot more agreement than they do disagreement. So looking at like the US, UK, Canadian, European guidelines, they all agree that someone who has a calcium score of zero has a low risk. Um, and they all agree that someone who has a coronary artery calcium score greater than 100, they should. that's generally someone you should think about starting statin therapy on. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit less consensus about what we should do with patients who have a calcium score of 1 to 99, which would be considered a mild score. Um, the U.S. guidelines would recommend starting those patients on at least a moderate intensity statin therapy. Um, and then there's a little bit less consensus on what we should be doing um, for allocating aspirin therapy or hypertension therapy based on coronary artery calcium scoring. Um, in general, I think there's a lot of data suggesting that patients who have a um, coronary artery calcium score greater than 100, that aspirin therapy can be beneficial for them. 
Um, obviously, the main thing we worry about with asthma therapy and what a number of recent trials have shown us is that for patients that are at low risk, even though there's a small risk of bleeding, that small risk of bleeding may outweigh the risk of cardiovascular benefit for these primary prevention patients. Um, so I think generally, um, while the guidelines don't agree on it necessarily yet, a calcium score, coronary artery calcium score of 100 or greater is a good point to think about that this patient may benefit from asthma therapy, assuming they don't have a high risk for bleeding otherwise. And that information is all very nicely summarized in figure two in your in your paper for listeners that want to go ahead and um, look at the paper and I'll make it open access if it's not already for a few months after the podcast comes out. Um, can we move on to, to clinical trials? I know that's one of your areas of, of interest. Um, what, what sort of trials are either ongoing or planned to test um, allocating primary prevention therapies just on the basis of a calcium score? Uh, can you tell right. us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think the one important one to mention that has just finished, um, uh, came out within the last year is the Dan Cavus trial. So now it's important to note that that trial used multiple screening techniques. So it wasn't only coronary artery calcium scoring, but in that trial, they were looking at a total uh, primary endpoint of total mortality, which is a pretty high bar to improve total mortality. So what they found in that trial was that um, the overall results were did not show a benefit. When they looked at patients who were less than 70 years old, which was one of their pre-specified secondary outcomes, they actually found that there was an 11% reduction in mortality um, over five years, which, like I mentioned, is pretty impressive um, finding. And while there were multiple different screening modalities used, what they really found looking at the individual um, treatments was that the benefit was really driven by aspirin and statin therapy, and those were allocated based on the coronary artery calcium score. So I think that really gives us a lot of insight um, into the power of using coronary artery calcium score, not just for reducing cardiovascular disease, but reducing total mortality. And Dan Cavus um, is actually going to be followed up to 10 years. So we'll have to wait a few more years, but we'll have really nice 10-year follow-up data from that trial as well. Um, so the other trials there's, that are ongoing are the um, CORECAL trial. Um, that's one conducted by Intermountain Health. And that has about 9,000 middle-aged participants that are being randomized to either usual care based on traditional risk factors or to statin therapy based on the coronary artery calcium score. So we're all looking forward to seeing results of that trial, um, which we plan on uh, finishing enrollment is scheduled for next year. Um, another important trial that we should be um, thinking about looking at the results for is a preventable trial. So the preventable trial is looking at participants who are greater than 75 years old, who are getting uh, randomized to a Torvastatin 40 milligrams. So the primary outcome of this trial is not randomizing based on coronary artery calcium scoring, but my colleague, Michael Blaha, who's the co-author on this paper, has a study where they're measuring coronary artery calcium in about 6,000 participants for preventable. So they'll be able to go back um, after the trial is over and look by coronary artery calcium scoring to see whether there was a benefit um, that really um, stands out based on the coronary artery calcium burden there. So I think that'll be a really uh, important trial for the overall results because statin therapy in that age group is um, still a little bit uncertain for some people. So that'll provide us some really nice data. And then also, you know, really providing good data on coronary calcium scoring in that age group. And then I think the third trial is the Rabinska trial. This is the trial that will probably come out the soonest. Um, enrollment was finished in this trial in 2021, and this is also the largest trial. There are about 44,000 participants who were randomized to statin therapy or ACE inhibitor therapy if they had a calcium score of greater than 100. 
So um, that trial, like I mentioned, um, we're anticipating we'll have the results um, hopefully within the next um, few years, if not sooner. And there's a number of other trials that I know are kind of in the planning stages for thinking about using coronary artery calcium. And what about using calcium scoring to allocate patients uh, for clinical trials of new medications? We've talked about statin and aspirin and ACE inhibitors there. Are there any of those yeah. that we should look out for? Yeah, I think that this is something that we're really going to see um, in the future now. So the 2022 um, expert consensus decision pathway on non-statin therapy um, recommended PCSK9 inhibitors for patients who have a calcium score of greater than 1,000 and an LDLC of greater than 70 milligrams per deciliter. Um, I think that you know we're going to start seeing new clinical trials really using the burden of atherosclerosis um, to randomize patients because you know we really want to identify the highest risk patients for enrolling in these trials. And so I think that's something that we're going to see going forward. Um, especially in the earlier stages of trials, right, in phase two, phase um, trials like that, um, I think that we'll see that um, this will really be a way that I think the trials are going to start moving towards and less so um, traditional risk factor burden for overall risk, um, but really thinking about the specific treatment factor that's abnormal and then having a high calcium score to really identify those patients most likely to benefit from treatment. One other thing you mentioned in your paper is the vast number of uh, CT scans of the chest that are done for kind of non-cardiac reasons that just happen to give us a glimpse into the amount of coronary artery calcium uh, on those scans. Should we be reporting, do you think, the you know non-contrast, non-cardiac CT scans for calcium scores? And is it is it straightforward to do? And how can we facilitate this? Because there must be loads and loads and loads of incidental calcification seen on these scans certainly in my own practice I've I've had this reported by radiologists just starting over the last few years sometimes difficult to know what to do with the data but are there any sort of machine learning or AI automated approaches to this that you're aware of and, and how should we address this yes definitely so I think this is going to be another really important area for coronary artery calcium scoring um, as you mentioned, the number of CT scans of the chest done for non-cardiac indications greatly outweighs the number that are done specifically for coronary artery calcium scoring. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, this information is not always or even not frequently reported. Uh, there's a number of studies showing that measuring coronary artery calcium from a non-contrast CT chest scan has very similar results to coronary artery calcium measured from a formal EKG-gated coronary artery calcium scan. Um, so I think this is something that is becoming increasingly recognized by cardiologists and radiologists and um, something that definitely should be reported on um, CT scans. Um, and I think this is really an opportunity. AI is obviously a very hot topic right now. So there's a number of companies that have um, software that can automatically report these scores for radiologists because really we want to report this information, but we also don't want to be adding undue burden onto radiologists or um, you know other people that are reading these. I think this is really one opportunity um, that we see that AI you know in the short term may actually have a very big impact on cardiovascular disease prevention. Um, the Notify One trial, which was um, recently uh, re resulted about six months or so ago, um, showed really um, the promise for using non-cardiac CT scans to report coronary calcium, and then uh, also uh, for allocation of statin and primary prevention therapies. 
Um, so I think this is a very important topic. And I know that there's um, future studies planned um, to look at this from a clinical trial standpoint. Fantastic. And just before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share, Dr. Welton? What's the sort of future of calcium scoring, do you think? So I think that, you know, there's a lot of groundwork laid for coronary artery calcium scoring, showing us how it refines risk. Um, I think going forward, um, what we're going to find is that really taking advantage of the extra information there. So like we just talked about measuring coronary artery calcium from non-EKG gated scans. And then also from these scans, you know, there's a lot of other information that's there. Um, so we can measure extra coronary calcium. So it can be aortic valve calcium. I think is going to be something that we're going to see um, in the future. Uh, we recently published a study showing an extremely strong association between aortic valve calcium and the long-term risk for severe aortic stenosis. Um, also, um, measuring thoracic aortic calcium, I think, has promise for further refining coronary artery calcium scoring and also thinking about things about density, area, you know, total plaque burden beyond just the Eggleston score itself. Um, so I think those all have promise. Um, and there's a lot of future utility for thinking about how to use this information from coronary artery calcium scoring and implementing it to really improve risk stratification and most importantly, uh, improve allocation of primary prevention therapies and patient outcomes from cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular disease. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Dr. Welton. It's been a real pleasure to discuss this important topic with you. As I say, I'll, I'll make the paper open access so people can uh, read it at their leisure. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks so much for joining me. Perfect. Thank you very much for the opportunity to discuss this with you.